0: Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Braw and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Right, we're here, we've made it. Hey! <laughs> Thank
1: you
0: so much for having (laughs) us. No, I will be very honest and say that the last time we tried to do this, I got lost in the internet ether and no one could find me (laughs) and I couldn't find you and you were all patiently waiting on me. So um, I'm delighted that I have been able to connect with the McLean brothers, also known as Brower. And I have been really looking forward to this. I've got a bajillion questions. First of all, I will say that I'm speaking to Ewan, Jamie and Lachlan. Now just in case anybody's been living under a rock and doesn't know what you guys have been up to, you undertook the world's toughest role, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. And Ared, is this true? More people have gone into space or climbed Everest? I think,
1: um, yeah, I think, as far as we know, it's true for the Atlantic. It used to be true for uh, for Road and Ocean, but I think that's no longer the case. I think there's slightly more people have... Um, of rode an ocean, but yeah, I think I think for the Atlantic, I think that fact is still maybe true. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Sounds
0: Aye, good. let's just say that's that's a thing. I mean, that's incredible, in all the questions. But you are basically a triple threat. Now, in the theater world, that means that you can sing, dance, and act. And we'll get on these subjects of all the other talents. But it's a bit of a, a triple threat in terms of like, well, you are brothers, so you're the first three brothers to row any oceans. That right? Supposedly, <laughs> I mean, yes,
2: yeah, I, mean, I think maybe the Vikings.
0: Aye, well, we're all with them. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll
2: ignore we'll them.
0: And the youngest trio. Yep. And the fastest.
2: Mm, yeah. So the, the 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 last one is the only real record, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other two we just had to get across. We could could have taken two hundred days, and we still would have gone. We could so, have bobbed. yeah, we could have bobbed across. But uh, the the speed record was the that was the kind of proper one. That we were very. It was like
0: thirty-five days.
2: Thirty-five days, yeah. So our, our goal, kind of our ambitious target, was to do it in forty days, which would have been the the record by one day. Um, but then we we were we were lucky. A number of things kind of went well for us, and we while well, we we worked hard, but also the conditions were good. Yeah, so we we were a bit faster than we.
3: And I suppose kind of we expected. Took a couple. Slight gambles in our preparation, um, both mainly just in our in our training uh, leading up to the row, which um, we didn't really know if it was going to work or not until until sort of ten days or a weekend at least until we set off from Lagomera. And so, yeah, all all the elements kind of came together in our favor, and and that resulted in a in a speedy crossing. It
0: sure did because I watched a video. Um, it was your dad that was talking about it prior to the challenge and just saying like you know we expect it to take x amount of days and it was just like nothing like what it said I was like god you totally <laughs> smashed it out of the park that's mental so adventure breaking records is that just something that you as a family have just always gravitated towards like challenges
1: yeah I, I don't know about do about breaking records but um <laughs> <laughs> certainly certainly uh, adventure i would say is is definitely something we all kind of gravitate towards um you know we always uh would terrify mum and dad by kind of getting up to no good by throwing ourselves off cliffs or kind of disappearing for a couple of days into the hills or whatever um so that yeah i think we were probably a joy to to raise in that respect but i think yeah we've always we've always kind of uh enjoyed being a bit more adventurous i think and instead of kind of staying indoors and I don't know. Having we, we never had really a, a, any computer computer games or barely had a TV that worked to be honest growing up which sounds very kind of um <laughs> yieldy kind of villagers. <laughs> <family or> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
1: But no I think instead we we would we would spend a lot of time outdoors getting up to no good climbing trees and whatnot. Remember remember the ball in a cup. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna
3: make us, that. This is gonna make us sound really cool, cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but one of the great toys we had was literally a, a wooden cup and a ball on a string, and you have to get the the ball in the cup, and it's actually quite hard. So yeah, I think that's just an example of the fact that we had to entertain entertain ourselves in other ways,
0: which is really important, and I think a lot of kids these days would struggle to do that, you know, just like constantly being entertained by devices and content and that's something like my generation like we were definitely outside playing I I mean I was not I was a wuss so I was definitely not as adventurous as you guys but I think uh, you know like just that as a generation you know a couple of generations ago where we just did spend more time outside and just entertaining yourself finding ways to mm-hmm. be active is there a sporting background as well is that something that was in your life no uh,
2: yeah we we're, were all kind of sporty rugby you and into skiing, Jamie and I more into rugby and you're also a bit of bit of skiing, and then I've done a bit of kind of long distance cycle riding, but I wouldn't say any more sporty than your your kind of normal person we we were into it, but we weren't kind of
0: athletes yeah, but you guys are very close in age, so was it just that you were just spending so much time together and just finding those different ways to to keep yourself entertained, suppose, as a, as a unit.
3: Yeah, I suppose so. So I mean, the age gap is you and I is about eighteen months. Um, Lachlan is four and a half. Four and a half from you, mm. younger than me, so about six younger than you. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, when we were younger, certainly, I, I we got on, but not um, not not any more so than other siblings. I don't think. Mm. I think it was more yeah. sort of a period of when we were all sort of I don't know sixteen and on. Um, that we started to figure out, we had more similarities both in what we enjoyed doing, and yeah, and I think that that only grew over the past sort of five or so years, maybe more, when we've we've sort of spent more time together, whether it's at Christmas or in the summer, the, the kind of weeks together, the valuable weeks of holiday that, that Ewan's been having because Lachlan and I are still still studying or were still studying, and so mm-hmm. yeah, so I think definitely now we've kind of realised really how much. How, how well we get on and uh and how much we do have in common.
0: Yeah. I totally get it. Like it's the same with my, my sister and I, you know, I'm pretty sure we got on more of you, although I think I was really annoying because I was one of those ones that was always trying to put her in a show, yeah. you know, like let's do a show. And she was like, Why really do, do a show Lisa? And now, you know, <laughs> all these years on, she's still in my dance group, she's still putting on a show, and I'm like, see
3: <laughs> Poor Lala. To
0: your big sister.
3: Oh well, I would do anything just to be involved in the game. You kind of- yeah. you sacrificial I was
1: target practice I was the target because me and Jamie were a bit closer in age I mean I guess maybe more when we were kind of um, I don't know 12, 14 or something like that Lachlan was just that bit younger so he would desperately try and do whatever offer himself up in some way to uh to join in, and we'd we'd probably end up just bullying him, to be honest,
2: unfortunately. Yeah, that's yeah. a cruel game, leader.
0: <laughs> terrible. I know, we were actually talking about you prior to his come about your your nickname, Lala, yeah. and I was like, well, you know, my sister called me Weiss and herself Mimi when she was wee, and my mum's still calling us <laughs> Mimi, so it's going to yeah. stick, I'm afraid you've had it. I
2: like that, yeah. It's, it sticks with you to kind of high school then i think that you're you're done for you know you you can't really yeah. if you try and fight it it's, it's, it's a no hope
0: <laughs> so this particular challenge what was the inspiration or the impetus for taking this on
2: so yeah it was it was it was kind of my idea um i saw an ad for it quite uh, probably 3 or 4 years ago our dad works in whiskey. Um, so he's a like a whiskey expert and he showed me this ad for the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, a rowing race across the Atlantic. And I thought, I mean, that's that's epic. We'd we'd done lots of sailing on the west coast of, coast of Scotland. And I think for all of us, taking off and sailing across the Atlantic was was kind of a dream. And taking off into the you know the open ocean. So then I was planning on doing it with a with a, a good pal of mine. Um, but then I I told jamie about it and he was he was dead keen and then ewan caught wind of it and i mean although I you know this mate he's a great great pal but i'd prefer to do it with, with my brothers so then it just kind of snowballed from there i think you were you kind of paid our our initial deposit for the race and registered us and then it was we were committed and we i think it's one of those things is, as soon as you tell more than a couple people about it you just have to do it because None of us had any like a rowing background, done a bit of sailing, but very amateur. So it was a big, a a big leap. And most people didn't believe us that we were going to do it. And then that just set, you know, that set us off. (laughs) Then we had to do it. We had to.
0: You're like, bring it on. Wait till you
2: see this. We're extremely stubborn. So that's, yeah. (laughs) I think um, I've heard of like
1: siblings signing up another sibling to like a half marathon or something for Christmas. And it was about, it was around the same kind of time. We just, me and Lachlan got this forwarded email, which was congratulations on your application from Jamie. And we're like, right, okay, we're in. There we go, boys.
0: Yeah, like, you could have just given me a pair of socks. That would have been, <laughs> yeah. that would have suffice. <laughs> yeah.
1: <It's been laughs>
0: but yeah, like, you know, you're saying like none of you's had really roads before. Like the preparation and the planning and everything that goes into that. Can you go into any kind of detail in terms of what, Know, training you did before it also like just securing things like sponsors because you were you then obviously chose two charities to support while doing this so then that then involves like a whole other level of responsibility and preparation so what was the time leading up to the race like in terms of like getting ready for it
3: i mean yeah it, it's it's there's there's so many Arms and legs that something like this grows, and it's a monumental task. Just um, the the thing itself, the actual rowing across the Atlantic is it's obviously extremely hard. But it's almost in many ways the simplest thing. Once you get there, then then you you know you've got your your all your preparations done, or your planning, or your fundraising. So it's really getting to that start line that's the that's the, the most difficult thing. And I think it's something like nine out of ten teams who, who register um for the race and pay that initial deposit don't actually make it to the start line just because you've got whether it's whether you do it over a two-year span we did a a a quite a a short campaign over nine months so we had to cram all of our training learning how to row um raising 120 grand yeah raising between 100 and 120 grand to to do the race i buy the boat the equipment the tournament entry fee all this that it just racks up the the shipping of the boat flights all all this stuff food we learned in the early days the uh the potential an event like this has to raise a huge amount of money and and awareness for charity and so we thought right well Mm -hmm. let's it would be would be it would be great to be able to to do some do this for something bigger than just ourselves and so then the 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 charitable element came into that and we set ourselves the ambitious goal of two hundred and fifty thousand, split between the two which we're chipping away at it's still um we've got the whiskey coming out soon so that'll help and we'll just be be just over 200 by then so we're getting there but um yeah it's it's a huge it's a monumental task and and you really just have to break it down into all the different elements um so i mean you and you you want to touch on the, the physical training aspect yeah so
1: it's um the physical side there's a number of kind of elements to it um I guess very basic is just your diet. So so we um, we uh, the standard thing for ocean rowing is to try and put on loads and loads of weight and as much, much as you can. And I think a lot of people do also focus a lot on kind of flexibility and mobility as well. So I guess the difference for us, we, we were doing a lot of the flexibility and mobility stuff, but we were finding it really difficult to actually put on any weight. Um, and then speaking to uh, one of our trainers, a uh, lady called Chloe here, um Gave us this advice, saying, "You know, actually, it's it's not really necessary to put on all this weight." So our diets kind of changed quite a lot to become you know very healthy, and then that carried through onto the row, where we would have pretty much exclusively vegetarian uh diet, low protein, and it, that just kind of helps you function better. and uh, We weren't trying mm-hmm. to cram ourselves with really sugary carbs or anything like that. And then yeah, training wise, we had for about oh I don't know eight or nine months. We were doing a gym program, uh, which was, it's been designed by this guy called Gus Barton, who's actually, he's currently rowing around the UK, but he, he's also done the, the the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge previously. Um, and he's one of the only kind of qualified personal trainers that's, that's done a challenge like this and then created a program specifically for ocean rowers. So that was, that was kind of five days a week for about an hour and a half to two hours per session. So it's, yeah, quite intense on that front. That's, that kind of continues all the way through. Uh, and then there was various other bits of training. So we had training on the water. As soon as you get the boat, you've got to do a minimum of 120 hours um, just yeah. to satisfy the race entry. Mm. We did quite a bit more than that in the end. But that that's really the most valuable training you can get is, is time on the boat. Uh, it's where you learn your processes, kind of cooking food, making sure your technique works and you know sleeping and what it's like to row in a night night shift and that kind of thing so we had some specific i guess some specific trainers help us with that as well um angus collins especially and duncan roy yeah give us some tips as well they're guys that have done multiple ocean rowings uh ocean rows in the past um so mm-hmm. they they really know their stuff so they can take you through all the drills and and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot. There's a lot. I'm sure there was. There's more that I've missed. As well, all of our time out in Chamonix as well.
0: Yeah, and this the, the is this is on. amongst like actually, you know, having a life and you know studying and working and. I
1: don't know about having a life. There's not much. <laughs> you like, yeah. we're not.
0: We're not. We're not available. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For nine months prior to this race. Yeah,
1: yeah. Pretty much.
0: Yeah, just the intensity, like you said, that's even before you've started. Yeah. like yeah. you know you've, you're on your way it's just like it's incredible that you got to that point and that makes no, you know the way you're describing it that makes absolute sense why a lot of people don't even make it to the start line because just uh, you know everything that's involved let alone the money that was obviously involved in setting everything up. Well, that,
3: um, I mean that's, that's kind of almost the hardest thing is on top of all the physical training and and prep for the boat you, we're obviously two students and a, and a young professional so we've hardly got well, we've got no savings, <laughs> so, um, so we we were going from a point of view that if we if we couldn't get sponsorship, corporate sponsorship, or any sponsorship whatsoever to um, to fund to help fund the project, then it wasn't going to happen, which put kind of added pressure. But that probably motivated us to to we, we knew
2: we had to go and you know fund it. A big In learning curve as well. It was yeah, all – that process was almost as much of a learning curve as the actual crossing.
0: And the two charities, so am I right in saying it was Feedback Madagascar and Children First, yeah. I guess it'd be really difficult to, or maybe it wasn't, but there's so many great causes that you yeah. could support in doing something like this. Like, how did you then whittle it down to those two charities? Had you already had interactions with them prior to? Yeah,
2: we, you're, you're so right. Like, we we met with quite a few charities at the, at the early stages. Um, to try and figure out which, because as you say, there's so many causes out there, and it's really difficult to choose. Um, but after much kind of discussion, these are the two to be settled on. So, feedback, Madagascar. I was in Madagascar three years ago now, uh, so I saw some of the work they do out there. I stayed in one of their youth centres, and the reason I was there was because I kind of a link to the the director of the charity. My ex girlfriend, she was family friends with him, so. Um so there was kind of a closer link, but Jamie Spencer, the guy who runs the charity, also is just an awesome guy. And it's a great it's a great charity, really small, but and everyone that works for the charity is out there, you know, living in the villages and they know what what these kind of communities need. So yeah, it's the seventh poorest country in the world. And our focus is all on clean water. So um a fifth of children die before the age of five because of waterborne diseases. So, so we, we hope to give 3000 people as the is the goal to give them clean water for life. So, I mean, you can, there's not really much better motivation than yeah, that. Yeah, of
0: course, um, absolutely, that's incredible.
2: And then Ewan, do you want to talk about Children yeah. First? And then Ch- Children First as well, which is um, Scotland's
1: uh, national children's charity. Um, another one, as that said we've we met with quite a few charities and it got to a point you know, we had to say you know, we need to stop. You know, it's so hard to to kind of choose, but um, children of first are a really fantastic charity. They 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 work with kids that have had a particularly traumatic upbringing, and I think you know we we recognise that, that that we were really fortunate. You know, we had a really loving uh, upbringing. We didn't we didn't experience kind of trauma or abuse growing up. So I think I think we, it, it kind of made sense for us if we can help in some way, um, allowing these kids to have support um, that have experienced kind of trauma and abuse. Then of that, that'd be good too. So, and they're I really love the the workers as well at, at Children First. Are absolutely lovely. So
0: they've been fantastic. Of course. It's just nice to have that that extra bit of motivation, like going into that, like we're doing it for these amazing causes. So, yeah, like we're just going to give it our all. You know, yeah, which you would have anyway, obviously. Do you know I mean, everything that went into getting there, but it's just that extra boost when I guess when things got really, really tough.
2: Yeah, no, so I I think just touching touching on that point, I think that kind of our initial attraction to doing the race itself was for kind of personal reasons, um, and you know, it's it's a great adventure and and all of that. And we wanted to do something as a, as three brothers, but definitely what what you're saying about that motivation, like at sea and the long hours on the oars, having a cause Jamie touched on it that's kind of greater than yourself is just that's the motivation you need. Um, it just you're just willing, and also in the in the fundraising leading up and stuff, you just need something that you truly believe in in order to just keep motivated when you when you're kind of in a I don't know. There's waves crashing over you, and you've had three hours sleep in the last two days. You, and you're kind of why am Why am I doing this?
3: It is, in essence, the whole world is quite a selfish thing, um both for like our parents and for I've got a long term girlfriend, girlfriend, and extended family. So I mean, it's quite you've, you're putting a lot of people that you love in quite a difficult situation, um and you're kind of doing it for your own reasons, and you're spending quite a lot of money through sponsorship to do that. So it's it, yeah, it's a it's a nice thing to be able to it's not just that. It's it's you're not just trying to break records, you're not just trying to do it for the sake of doing it, you're doing it and you've got this there's a there's a sort of a deeper purpose.
0: Yeah, and giving those charities another platform as well, because obviously you you're being brothers and the challenge itself. It obviously gained a certain amount of publicity and obviously you're talking to sponsors. So, you know, even if you can offer up that platform for a charity and a cause, mm-hmm. then that within itself, you know, money aside, that is all, always helpful to to these charities because it just, you know, I'm thinking in COVID times, all these charities are just struggling because yeah. their normal streams of income are, are gone. So you can imagine that just year in, year out, they're just looking for that, that support in whatever shape or form it can come. I'm really interested to get into. I mean, I can only. I'm, I think it would probably need a whole podcast in itself just to talk about the, the entire the entire adventure over those 35 days. But going into that, had you had the discussion? Do you need to have the discussion of this is your role and this is your role? And that you know, did you ass- assume certain roles or was it just like, for want of a better phrase, all hands on deck?
1: I mean, we we had these kind of mock roles. They weren't really mock roles. They were. Um, I think my one was probably the only relevant one. So, I'm an engineer today, so I was kind of in charge of the technical elements of the row. So, um, there was a number of things that actually went wrong uh, during during the whole thing with battery issues, power charging, um, our autopilot the mount failed so we had to fix that on the fly so so i guess that element i i did actually uh kind of follow through and and carry out that role the other roles that we had prior uh were uh, they're a part of the story and you know you need to kind of sell yourselves to 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 a company and say look we are the best people for the job i've got all the technical stuff down jamie's going to Plan everything, and Lachlan's going to communicate with everyone, and it's going to be great.
0: <laughs> if you said that to me, I would have totally been in there. But like, cool, great,
1: sounds brilliant. <laughs> and I, I mean, we did, we did kind of stick to those roles it, it, to, to be honest, it, in to, to a fair extent. But during the actual row, the, there was no, there was no hierarchy or anything like that. It was very much. Um, it, it's kind of better because there's because there's three of you. Uh, everything you just kind of put down to a vote and say, right, do we want to change course? And, you know, whoever gets, you know, there's, there's two votes to one, then that's fine. You just you just do that.
0: You don't need to do, like, rock, paper, scissors.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I mean, if there's two of you or, or four, as they very often are, four is probably the most common category. You know, you can end up with teams in loggerheads because they, cause they can't make a decision. So, and, and quite often as well, you have a skipper as well. Uh, on pretty much all boats, you have a skipper. And I remember speaking to some teams, I think even some of the race organisers who were, um, saying right, who's the skipper? I think we put Lachlan down. They needed a name on the on the certificate, but we we didn't bother with that. I think um, I think it it can work. I'm sure for for the vast majority of uh, of boating activities. But
3: in in truth, when you're when you're out there, you kind of you, you do whatever is needed to be done in in your area. So if you're if two if two of us were rowing and one was resting. The person resting you weren't really resting you either that was maybe it was maybe time for you to you'd heat up some water and rehydrate um some freeze-dried meals or you would change the course or you'd clean the solar panels or if you're in a rowing position and you're the one nearest to the food hatch or the water maker you just do it just because Moving around on the boat is incredibly difficult, um, especially when you've got two people constantly moving, and you don't want to you don't want to interrupt that the flow too much mm. because it just it becomes so frustrating as as a as a rower you get, you try and get into a zone um, where where if like anyone asking you to do anything or having to stop really kind of throws you throws you off of yeah. course so you just yeah you do you do what needs to be done in your area whether and and and, and I think that's the easiest way to do it.
0: I mean, there must be so many. Highlights, but then you've also touched on you and like hurdles. So, because you'll, I guess you'll all have your personal highlights and hurdles. I mean, I guess the highlight was like finishing and then realizing that you'd like broke all sorts of records. But, um, are there specific kind of highlights and hurdles over those 35 days that just stick out for you each individually?
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely, I think you have really low points, points that are so, so difficult. And it's, you know, the hardest thing you've ever done. Um, and it's and it's massively overwhelming um and yeah it, it, and you have these kind of lows but then you also have these they're kind of framed by the the highs as well you're it's you you're on a much more kind of manic um going from really low to like absolutely ecstatic and yeah that some of the high points are just phenomenal um i mean particularly well, i'll touch on the lows and then uh like you can move touch on some of the highs I remember the first twenty-four hours was just like such a such a difficult, um, a, a difficult period to get through. I mean, me and Jamie were both seasick. The conditions were just massive, and we'd never seen kind of conditions like that. Uh, you, you just don't, you can't train, you can't get those conditions on the coast. So, and it, going through that first night, you know, a completely sleepless night for all of us, unable to go in the cabins because it just made the seasickness worse. Um, there was a point where we were like. This could be another 60 days or more. Like, we've spent so much time and effort to get to this point, and we were desperate to try and enjoy the whole process. Um, But on that first night, I think we all thought this could be easily just the worst experience ever. It could be horrendous. i
0: have made a terrible mistake. (laughs) I mean, seasickness sickness, you wouldn't actually wish on your worst enemy, it's horrendous. Oh, it's so yeah. Bad. yeah. And I'm talking about being on a cruise liner. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like am I talking about rowing the Atlantic? It's
2: but then yeah, yeah, it's so true. I mean seasickness is the worst. Fortunately, Jamie Ewan they, it was only for a few hours. I was a bit queasy, but it was only for the first night really. Mm. Some of the other competitors, so uh the Mad Giraffe, John Davidson, who's who was the only other Scot in the race. Um and we've well, we've actually become pretty pally with him since and we're working on some projects together. So that will be yeah. hopefully announced soon. Yeah, he was seasick for about a month and he didn't he didn't eat anything for the first 13 days of the race, didn't eat a thing. So in the in the total race, he lost like 29 kilos, which is pr- pretty colossal in a 75 day crossing. So kind of connected to, to what Ewan was just saying about kind of the worry that we weren't going to enjoy the race because... You know, we put so much into it. So that was in many ways our biggest fear. Obviously, there's going over, you know, one of us going overboard and losing one of us at sea. That that is the obvious fear. But actually, probably our secondary fear was to to do it and then realize that this has all been kind of for nothing. So I would say yeah. that kind of springboards us into our I, for me, one of the highlights was about kind of 10, 12 days in your body takes about that much time to get into a state of sleep sleep deprivation
0: yeah. but for
2: the first week 10 days you are you you hallucinate a bit and you're you you feel bad most of the time i'd say i'd say the majority of the time you're feeling pretty pretty rubbish and you've not got any breaks you your body's just clim- acclimatizing to the to the kind of environment yeah. you're in but then after 12 days you you kind of hit a point and you're into the rhythm and well, for me and I think I think for all of us, there was kind of a, a couple of days where it did st- start to seem actually manageable and like we were going to be able to do it, because you are you're just kind of surviving day to day for the first ten mm. days. So I'd say that was one of the biggest highs. And then also kind of connected to what Ewan was saying with the conditions. Although that that began as probably the scariest moments in the first twenty four hours. But then, by the end of it, it's you're so normalised to the environment you're in, and for, forty foot waves are actually what you want. Um, you you want you want big conditions. You want lots of wind behind you because of the the prevailing winds. Mean that the big the bigger the wind. Generally speaking, you're going with the wind, so you just go faster. So like towards the end, the last week to ten days you know sur- surfing down these huge one of you will kind of be at your's you don't really need two people at the oars and then you kind of you get over the top and sometimes the wave will crash at the at exactly the right time and you, it's like you're you're on this kind of surfing board and it becomes almost like a like a video game you are kind of yes. surfing down i think we clocked about 18 knots so it's it's really fun really really fun it sounds terrifying but after so long <laughs> like,
1: yeah.
3: it
2: becomes very normal so another worker there was wildlife yeah the what? i mean of course the wildlife is
3: incredible it's kind of spread out it's 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 not kind of wildlife every day it's but i think that makes it even more special so you have mm-hmm. sort of days where you see absolutely nothing it's just blue as far as the eye can see and you it's it's weird you're in it's like you're in this state of limbo um you don't know if you're going if you're going upstream or downstream or it's it's bizarre and and uh it almost like you're from a, out of a scene in, in inception or something then a pod of dolphins will appear and and jump with the boat for you for, for half an hour or, or you'll see a, a whale crashing out the water it's yeah amazing and there's flying fish just flying fish are everywhere you do see them every day they, and they almost become a bit wow. intense because they're they're flying off the boat and they're landing on deck we actually had a game where we'd split the de- the deck up into thirds and if you if a flying fish landed on your third, you'd get a point. And uh, I think the winner the winner got like a third of a Snickers or something. But it was yeah, <laughs> love it. It, uh, the, Yeah, the wildlife's incredible. Sharks as well. We saw a couple of sharks. One one Jeez. was on the first, after, like se- first or second night, and it was our first sighting of of a shark. And uh, it was right in the middle of the night, so it was pitch black. And also you've got bioluminescent oh in the water. So as you're rowing at night, there's kind of fireworks of of green flashes underwater as your oars hit the water and then the, the, the shape of the shark comes and you don't see the shark but you you see the dis- disturbance in the water that it creates um and it's circled you just
0: hear that tune in the back of your head <laughs>
3: <laughs> the we did that and then we knew that you know you have to get in the water at certain points of the crossing because you're the the hull of the boat builds up growth quite quickly remarkably quickly mm-hmm. even though you're moving quite fast and so um after about a week, you need to get in the water and, and scrub off all these little barnacles. Otherwise, you're, you're creating such drag for yourself. It slows you down mm. an incredible amount. And so you see these sharks in the water and you know in a few days' time, you've got to get in when it's a little bit calmer and and, and clean the boat. So you're, you're there with a little scraper and you're under the boat with your goggles on and all you can see is blue, blue, blue. As far seven as miles, can see, yeah. Seven miles deep in there. Um, and all yeah, in the back of your mind, it's like... Da, 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 da. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> Certainly make you go faster anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah for sure.
0: <laughs> That's when you're like, right, it's rock, paper, scissors for who's getting in the water of the day.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> can you prepare mentally for everything that you were you know, about to en- endure? Because I guess, like like you were saying, you, you can't know until you're in it. How was it mentally? Was it easier that it was your brothers? Because I guess sometimes you can just look at somebody and you don't need to say anything. They just know what you're thinking
2: um i think that um the three of us actually our, our strongest kind of factor as a team was the fact we were siblings so we yeah we we get on very well but also kind of on a deeper level i would say it it's having you know total trust for the people you're on the boat with that's that's a huge factor but also we we each of us kind of have similar thresholds in terms of getting scared or what we were comfortable you know, pushing how far we wanted to push ourselves, and what we were trying to achieve. So that was really crucial in our our team dynamic, I think. Um, and it meant that if the conditions were a bit big, then we would we would all be at the same point. We we'd, we'd all kind of agree that we were a bit scared. So let's let's just mm. up, chill out a little bit. But then also, we we kind of set the, the the goal of of the crossing itself. Our first and foremost goal goal was to kind of enjoy it as a trio and and to get along so we kind of made a sort of a pact at the beginning that if for any reason we were having huge fallouts or we weren't getting on and it was it was jeopardizing our relationship then we had to change everything like the the first thing was to enjoy it um and to kind of bond us as a three so that was i think just being on the same page at the beginning of the race was was really important it's weird
1: though because you can't um I think that was one of the big unknowns and there's there's quite a few unknowns before you start a challenge like this and 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 that's the scariest thing more than anything else and and I think the sleep deprivation and just not knowing you know what we would be like how we would be functioning after thirty days of you know only having had kind of four hours of sleep a night or whatever rowing constantly so I think that was one of the big fears we did we did talk about you know what our main our main kind of fears were prior to, to starting. That was again advice from Chloe Lanthea, which I think was really helpful because it, it, it lets you kind of think through scenarios and and um one of the things we did try and do was just try and get used to sleep deprivation and still functioning uh was just to just to get up at like four in the morning and go and do a training session and then just do your day as normal. Uh don't mm. don't try and have a rest or anything. Just so you're you're used to it and you realise I think through doing that that you can actually function fairly well. Uh, and it's the same out in the Atlantic. I mean, uh, it's amazing what the body can can deal with. It's absolutely ast- astonishing. I mean, we were literally rowing for, um, I mean, like fourteen hours more, fifteen hours a day, and then only sleeping for about four. Uh, so, and it's and and you just kind of get used to it after after kind of 12, 10, 12 days, and amazingly, you, the body you can thrive. You can actually really enjoy it like we did, which was
2: good. <laughs> i think the the mental preparation is it is the hardest bit and ewan, ewan was touching on there Ch- chloe chloe lanthier she had she has a really interesting philosophy that if if you're when you're doing an expedition she's done so, quite a few expeditions herself and she's okay. an endurance athlete uh, so she did she did one through the arctic and she's um yeah she, she's she's amazing but anyway, her, her kind of philosophy is if, if there is something you're anxious about. So an, another one was there was sleep deprivation. Um, another one was one of us going overboard and drowning because in, in kind of on, on this boat, you know, we were always attached. But if you did get swept overboard and you, for some reason or another you weren't attached, then y- you would be lost because your boat's yeah. moving at a pace that you can't actually because the wind is behind you generally. You can hardly stop the boat, so that's it's quite a big thing to kind of um, comprehend that. So, but she was her her thing is like anything you are anxious about, try and prepare for it in any way you can. So we we would get up for these kind of four o'clock training sessions, go out for a row, and then she said at the end of the session, when you're exhausted and you've had no sleep, jump overboard and swim after the boat for you know for ten minutes each. And so, like little things like that, I think over time, just doing them and putting yourself in kind of not a similar situation, but
0: no, it makes as similar you can, as you can.
2: You can kind of imagine that happening and how you would react. Yeah, to it.
0: yeah, yeah.
2: And yeah. I think that's it's sort of the only way of,
0: of yeah. This is obviously not allowing the panic to sit in where exactly, you know yeah. then all the training and everything goes to pot because you haven't thought about how to manage your own you know thought process in these really difficult situations.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it's, 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 yeah, as Lachlan was touching on, it's not about being able to improve at swimming after a boat when you're sleep deprived and have just been rowing for 12 hours or it's not about yeah. being able to row better when you're that badly sleep deprived. It's about getting your body used to functioning and doing that in that in that environment, in those circumstances so that, yeah, the more you become used to it, the more you kind of yeah as you say the the anxiety and the stress and the shock that if something bad happened in that environment then you're you're better equipped to deal with it
0: absolutely and I mean I can only imagine what that day was like so it was Antigua that you finished the race yeah I can only imagine like the total elation did you know at that point that you'd totally smashed it out of the park like obviously you're keeping log of like how many days or whatever but did you have any other contact or any, you know, to know whereabouts in the race you were?
1: Yeah, so, so we had um uh, we had a weather router uh, who's just a, a family friend called uh, Stuart Robinson, who affectionately has the nickname The Skipper, uh, who we sail with quite a lot. He's a pal dad. Um It was just before the race. We, we'd learned that some of the other teams had, you know, weather routers and stuff. And we were like, oh, we don't have one of these. <laughs> do the routing for us and he was like i right, do it yeah i've got it but and that was brilliant actually not only did i mean his routing was unbelievable it really um really really helped and it's more just from having that kind of point of contact you're in a bit of a um echo chamber on this little boat um and you you can start to spiral if you start if you think you're kind of off going off course or whatever and that can really have an effect of of the on the mood on board so having that external contact to be able to phone the skipper and say, uh, look, Skip, um, we think we're off course. Um, Jamie thinks we should kind of turn 30 degrees round and laugh and things, we should go backwards. Um, and the skipper <laughs> be like, oh, no, no, <laughs> keep, keep going. Keep going where you're going. But we had that. And then we also had um, a, a little satellite on the boat that meant um, that we could uh, connect to the Internet. Basically, it was like a little Wi-Fi hotspot which meant we could send back videos and photos, but also check where we were in the race and and check the weather and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, I guess to answer your question, were we kind of aware of, I guess, the impact that we'd had? We knew where we were coming in the race, but I I think we had absolutely no idea, you know, how much, I guess, exposure we'd we'd got. Um, Our Instagram, we we had... uh, we, we company, Story Shop, who at the time were, you know, very just friends of Jamie's really and, and very new. They were doing the Instagram and sharing posts. Yeah. They created this huge following, which was just, you know, phenomenal. And uh, we were actually a, a bit faster than um, a lot of our friends and family thought we were going to be. So the only people to actually make it to Antigua on time to see us across the line was mum and uh the skippers our, our weather it, and, and his <laughs> wife and guys that were catching some film. But all yeah, our mean... friends and dads and all that lot, they <laughs> completely missed us. Um we were kind of expecting though that you know there'd be a handful of people and uh our expectation was really very low. But yeah we got into got into Antigua it was so overwhelming. There were I mean hundreds of people and, and these this huge row of kind of super yachts that all uh, kind of beep their horns or uh, sound their horns as you come in. And it's just, it's, you've not seen anyone else for like 35 days or whatever. So. It's
0: like um, lockdown on steroids. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally. So. it really is. No, I think, yeah,
3: um, on, on top of that, we were, that added to the, uh, the sort of overwhelming nature and just the incredible feeling of arrival was, our awareness to manage our expectations coming in because even though we we knew where we were in the race and we knew that the uh, the sort of the speed record was in sight you have to be very careful about getting ahead of yourself especially i mean there's there's many examples in the past of probably more experienced teams who have got only a couple hundred miles from shore so that's maybe two or two or three days if that and something they've just been hit by a rogue wave they've capsized and and all hopes and dreams so you you you've got these sort of um these stories going on in the back of your head so we were very we, we were very aware of this and very um we wanted to make sure that none of us kind of got ahead of it so it meant that we can't kind of didn't really think about it which was a nice thing until we until we uh Pulled into port, and all the flares are going off, and things like that, and then, and then it really begins to kind of hit home. And I mean, Laughlin and I were actually chatting about today, and thinking back to that moment, it still gives you kind of chatting about it now. It gives you goosebumps, but it, but also you, you feel kind of somewhat detached from it. Um, it feels like it could quite easily be just a, an incredible dream.
0: I can can imagine, because, you know, I'm thinking, I'm equating it to, you know, we would call in the theatre world, show post-show blues. Yeah. You know, that just that you've worked so hard on something, it's been a total slog, there's been highs, there's been lows, there's been, like, really scary moments, and then it, you know, happens, and then lights out, curtains closed, show's done. We're saying it's 35 days, which is bonkers, but it was all those months prior to that. How do you then adjust to normal life? And inverted commas when you came back?
2: Well so I delayed dealing with that for a good <laughs> six months. I actually stayed in Antigua and uh, got a job on a on a yacht and then I I sailed home. So I, I actually only got home three weeks ago. I'm kind of trying to address that now.
0: Not- <laughs> <laughs> you, you were like I'm not I'm not dealing with the post-show blues I'm just staying here I'm just in here forever.
2: Yeah
3: exactly no I mean I, know, I think, I think yeah. it was, we obviously had two weeks in sort of paradise Island, um, with our friends and our closest friends and family. So that definitely helps the adjustment back to, uh, Back to normality, and and I mean overall, we had a very positive experience. So it wasn't like we were moving from like a harrowing environment back, trying to adjust back to normal life. We 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 chatted about, we chatted at length about different new adventures whilst we were at sea, and so that was something that we definitely wanted to carry forward. So we had this sort of Mm -hmm. lovely period of two weeks of just kind of just relaxing, starting to adjust back to life on land, and then and then I mean it took about I think. for me, I don't know about you, Ewan, but it took about maybe a month, so kind of two weeks after that, arriving home. You see our friends, it's great, everyone's wanted to hear about it. Then it starts to sink in, that sort of that it's happened, it's it's over, all the all those hours have gone into it. It's um that's now in the past and it's kind of looking forward. But I think something that's definitely helped over the past six months. I mean, I mean covert aside, but um has yeah. been the three of us left arriving in Antigua, knowing that we wanted to do something else together. Uh, we we enjoyed the experience. And we enjoyed working together um, so much. So we knew that we wanted to do something else. And so that's been some, something that's been mulling over in the background. So it kind of, for me, it's been, okay, that's over. Yes, it's, it's been weird adjusting back to normal life, but you know it's not that far away. Something else in the horizon. And that same sort of feeling will be back soon.
0: Brilliant. So can you, um, can you disclose What's happening next? Or is this all top secret?
1: Well, we've been building a floating sauna. <laughs> I know. I was
0: very much enjoying your stories today, Ewan, very much. <laughs>
1: We're going to take a sauna across the Atlantic. That's that's the plan. <laughs> 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 no, to be honest, I, I think, I mean, the boat was kind of like a sauna in itself because it's very hot, um, the time of year that you cross. So The cabins are li- like little saunas. So I don't think we need to recreate that again with an actual sauna. Um, it would be far more dangerous as well. But no, we've got we've got a number of ideas. There's there's actually quite a few. There's probably about five different projects which we've got uh, on the go at the moment, and we're kind of waiting to see which one kind of yeah, which one leads. Um, which is very exciting because coming out of the restriction of the row and then going back into normality, um, in in a sense, there was kind of a month where there was just. a a real lull it's not just the 35 days at sea it's also the year before where you're just like frantically desperately trying to get everything together um uh, but it's quite exciting it's an exciting time you know you're learning loads and it's it's we held our hands up at the beginning of the whole road said we know nothing not even about rowing we don't know anything so we need to really need to try and learn about it and 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 i think now we've got the same kind of um excitement and kind of momentum with a a number of different kind of projects but floating saw is one um, there's a couple which we're going to keep under under wraps, but yeah, watch this space.
0: Dot 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 to be continued. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, I think it's awesome what you've done. Um, I think you guys, anything I've seen of your content, and I know obviously you were saying like you know you were doing the role that you had a lot of help with that, but just that you are great ambassadors for your country. You know, just sitting here speaking, like you just come across as like really decent people who just wanted to do a thing. And like, you you know, you were open about it. It was like, it was for us and there was the concern of our family and friends, but then to, to go to great lengths to support those charities. And I'm going to use the word inspiring and I use it a lot. When I speak to people on this podcast, but what you have achieved is dead inspiring. Like anybody that's listening to this just now is going, they're saying they didn't know anything about Rowan or they didn't know about this or that, you know, like but you you made it happen. And, you know, it's hard graph and dedication and sacrifice and all of those things. And yeah, there's really scary moments, but you just totally club together as a unit with all the help that you had. you did it, you made it happen and it's super inspiring. And I just commend you for that. That was a long sentence, but that was me just saying, well done.
2: (laughs) That's extremely, extremely kind. And I think that um, from our point of view, I think that would be the, the one thing we would like for other people to take from, I guess, our campaign across the Atlantic is, you know, if these three chumps can do it, then you can do it. We were just, uh I don't know, we've we've got big ideas, but and we'll 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 stick to our guns. But other than that, we're just we're very normal people.
0: Well, this is a thing I think it comes up a lot in the podcast in, in Scotland. We have this kind of oh, don't got, don't get too big for your boots. You know, you know, don't look over the parapet too much, and and I think that's just really detrimental. Like you know, when you're a grown-up. If you've got parents that are saying, like, you can do anything, you're amazing, you know, we're saying this to kids, but then we get to a certain age and it's like, why can't you dream big? You dreamed big and you made it happen, you made it a reality.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, especially at the beginning, I mean, you tell someone, you're going to, you know, we're, we're, the three of us are going to row across the Atlantic, and people are like, you're mental, you can't do that. That's absolutely ludicrous. But I guess the three of us seemed to believe in it and we convinced each other that it was a good idea. Um, And then just started kind of working towards it and building towards it. And I think that was the most amazing thing for the three of us to experience having other people believe in this this thing that you're trying to do and and that to kind of snowball and build and build. And it's just, you know, the, the support network that we had was hands down the the only thing that got us across we were a very small part of it we were we were the ones on the oars but there was so many people behind it and so many people that helped us get to that point but yeah i think i think starting with that idea and and just going with it and it might a lot of people might say do you know what that's that's mad but um yeah you could make it happen
2: and
0: it's million, and it worked
2: as a scott Scotland gets behind you pretty quickly. Yeah. Like they're they willing to get on board with it as soon as you've got a Scottish flag or Jamie Jamie played the bagpipes into Antigua, then they they love it. I think as a nation, people get on board with with supporting kind of fellow Scots. So that's that's invaluable, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's just touch on the fact that like I feel like you are like the Scottish version of the cores. If the cores were to like road Atlantic. These are like total triple threats. So you all play an instrument. Am I right in saying that?
3: Very averagely.
0: <laughs> Aye. Well, you say this, but <laughs> nonetheless, you all play an instrument, which, you know, you're just ticking all these boxes and, and very creative. So, I, like, I feel like I'm now being a stalker. I'm like, you know, I'm following like porridge and forage, for instance. <laughs>
3: ah, <yeah>. so, <laughs> porridge and forage is, uh, <laughs> yeah, we've uh, over the past few months been working towards a range of different recipes. <laughs> it's a passion project. But yeah, we all have, we all, I think that comes back to our, our parents and our upbringing and our childhood, um, kind of finding different ways to entertain ourselves. So music was definitely a big element. And we were, our mum in particular encouraged us from a young age to to try and get involved with music and we'll owe her for, forever for that. Mm. Um, and then as a sort of, I think our early education at um, Edinburgh Rudolph Steiner School was, very sort of important in us developing other interests for me, cooking, mm. for you, in the kind of the engineering side. Lachlan, I'm not too sure. <laughs> Lachlan, I feel like you get the bum end of
0: the deal here, being the youngest.
2: A
3: world-class finger knitter
1: was our Lachlan.
2: I, I once knitted an elephant. <laughs> that <was> my talent. <laughs> yeah. One thing that
1: we can't do, Lisa, one thing that we're all absolutely terrible at is dancing. I mean, abysmal. And it gives us the fear. It's it's probably my my biggest anxiety is the idea of dancing in public. I hate, I hate the idea of it. The
0: next brower, like I think when you announce the next adventure, there needs to be some sort of choreography in the <laughs> video for this. Definitely. And I am happy to offer my services uh, for you coming uh, on this. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> Listen, I have got all manner of people dancing over the years, so don't you worry. I've got you sorted. <laughs>
1: it'll be it'll be tough. It'll be tough.
0: <laughs> i'm ready to take on the challenge <laughs> right we are going to quickly jump on to what i call the thingamabobs i didn't tell you about this that's okay but it's all good it's a quick, <laughs> well it's not a quick fire it's more just like the first thing that comes into your head don't overthink it you know tomorrow if i was to ask you these questions you'd probably see something different but hey ho, that is the joy of the thingamabobs nice <laughs> right we'll start off relatively easy um okay i feel this is very apt Desert island meal. So, if you knew you were going to be on a desert island for X amount of time, what would you eat?
2: Steak pie, steak pie with baked beans and peas. I love it.
0: You did say beans. <laughs> Unusual choice, but I'm um, okay.
2: Yeah, my, my <laughs> we were we obsessed over pies
1: uh, whilst we were on the road. But for me, it'd be a pie from Lochinverladder, which is uh, a little pie shop uh, in a town called Lochinver, which is way up West Coast of Scotland. So uh, probably the venison cranberry pie. Oh, if I had to eat it day in day out. Wait, is it that? Is that the deal, or is it once?
0: Before no, no. Well, no, this is like this is like the the treat oh. if you do have. Oh. I was going to say porridge,
1: uh. but no,
3: scrap that.
0: <laughs> you're just you just being on brand.
3: <laughs> probably uh, a perfect Napolitano pizza with <laughs> naduja. N-dia. N-dia.
0: <laughs> N-dia.
3: It's like a spicy Italian sausage Crumbled on top With maybe some fresh tomatoes A little bit of basil Buffalo mozzarella oh,
0: These are just making me starving now uh-huh. <laughs> Loving it um, Okay, we're going to go a wee bit more philosophical If you can handle it What's the best advice you've ever received? Wow,
1: that's tough um, Expecting big things from Lachlan here To save us yeah,
2: right, come on now. No
0: pressure Lachlan
2: Oh Don't be afraid to get off and push. (laughs) That's the one thing that's popped in the head when you're riding a bike and going uphill. (laughs) One thing that's kind of
1: relevant, but I don't think it's the best advice, but it's it's kind of more of a motto that one of the previous rowers, uh, Mark Slats, had. That was, um, uh, be better than your excuses. Which, oh no, be stronger than new excuses, I think, was the was the quote. Which I think it's quite nice um, and kind of, I guess, relevant. Um, I, I don't think it maybe works for everything, but...
0: Well, to be fair, you had so many excuses not to do what you did and you still did it. So <laughs> you nailed that one.
1: It's not really,
3: I don't know if it's advice, but it's definitely, few, I've been told it in the past. And I think that after the row, I think the three of us certainly felt this. And it was just kind of backing yourself. We, we, we set off we had this idea we backed ourselves and then people got behind that idea and we made it become a reality and I think um, whether that's an example of it of it going well I think mm. there's lots of cases where you can back yourself and and you fail miserably but I think that in itself is just as valuable experience and so if you if you back yourself from the get-go I think only good things will come
0: excellent advice well done I still think that don't be afraid to get off and push is equally fantastic. Advice.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. <laughs> don't
0: let them tell you otherwise. Um, can you handle two more?
2: Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: If you had one extra hour of free time a day, how would you use it?
2: I'd read.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. I would play. I would play m- music? I don't. I don't play enough music. In fact, I might play some music after this. But I usually I find now at the moment, especially, I'm just too busy at the start time. So I spend an hour. What do you
0: mean? Listening to music or actually playing? No, you know... no,
1: playing, playing music and write, writing, probably writing music. I think it's what I would spend an hour do.
3: What about you? There's, uh, there's so many things, music, cooking. Um, but I've been told meditating is very good. I would I'd like to get into that.
2: Maybe just, Maybe just an
3: hour of crafts. Yes. I don't know what that would come in the form of. Maybe construction of a floating sauna is an example. Um, or pottery. I've always liked the idea of becoming a potter. Or turning, Just crafts in general, I think. Mm. A very wholesome activity that is always rewarding.
0: Yeah, you all obviously have a very creative edge to your... To your lives as well. That it's just hard to fit everything in, though. I feel like you guys need to invent an eighth day of a week. To be fair, I think you probably could between the three. If you stick the three heads together, you'd manage it. <laughs> 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 and the last question that I ask everybody in the podcast. So these questions change all the time. I've got like seventy odd of them, but the one question that I ask. You know, you are on the broad, the brief. What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Oh,
1: um, what what words? I quite like the word slogan. Because it, I think it's the only Scots Gaelic word which is in the. It's used in uh, in just general English. Uh, oh, is there any other any other Scots Gaelic words that have come across and are actually generally used by? So slogan, I think, is quite a good one. Good.
2: That or scran. Scran, mm. yeah, scran's good. Uh, and then I'll go for I'll go for a, a Robbie Burns toast. So this is our dad's favorite favorite toast. Here's to a bottle and an honest man. What would you wish for mere man? Who kens before his life may end, what his share may be o oh care man. So catch the moments as they fly, and use them as ye ought man. Believe me, happiness is shy, and comes not I when sought man. That's that's my favourite. <laughs> that's great.
0: Well done, sorry, that was beautiful.
2: Catch the moments as sorry. they fly is the
3: best. Yeah. The bro, just I, I don't know. It's just got a great roll off the tongue, but I think also our, our our name was sort of the the group of us bro. It was it was the idea came out. I mean, came out of two other other words that aren't quite so fantastic. But but it's meaning bro. I think is is just a great great word.
0: You guys are just the total epitome of what it means to be Bro brave. You are now Bro bags.
1: <laughs> great. Get in the
0: clan. As well as being in the McLean clan, you know, in the Brawbag clan, and a badge will be winging its way to you all. (laughs)
1: Amazing.
0: (laughs) Listen, I can't thank you enough. This has been a total joy. But yeah, I really appreciate that you give me an insight into your incredible story. And I just know that whatever you do next, it's just going to be, it's going to be awesome.
1: No, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. And and it's been fun. I really enjoyed chatting away with you too. Um, We look forward to those
2: dancing lessons.
0: Hey, listen i'm holding you this i better not see a video where yours are just standing and not throwing some shapes i'll be in there anything i can do to support what you're doing promote what you're doing just give me a shout well, from now
3: on. one, one shout out towards the end of the, the podcast is our, our whiskey goes on sale on friday mclean's pillage and McLean's spillage the uh one of our training rows up the west coast we collected all this whiskey it's been blended by our dad and, and a few other master blenders and, uh, and it's been rebottled, repackaged, beautiful packaging by McLaren Packaging, beautiful design by uh, David Coates. And it goes on sale on Friday from Royal Marl Whiskies. And there's two different types uh, a blended scotch and a blended malt, and some miniatures as well.
2: To get a bottle, if, if people can just go to broar.co.uk, so our name, B-R-O-A-R.co.uk, and uh, there'll be a link there to the Royal Mile Whiskies page. And uh, and yeah. what's
3: important to note is all the proceeds from that are going towards Feedback Madagascar because they, they organised the row and helped with all the collecting of the whiskey. So it's that it's a literal, literal trade-off of the, the funds raised from the whiskey is going to provide thousands of people with clean water for life in Madagascar. Perfect,
0: perfect. And I'll put all the links in the show notes so that everybody knows where to go. No, well done. Well done, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you for being so patient with me. No, no. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Brawn the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.